everybody. Thank you for tuning into my podcast, Keeping It Real with Caramel, as we say 100. I have a guest, and, like, she is super, like, I'm just talking to her for a little bit just to get to know her myself, and I'm telling you, she is off the chain. She is really nice, really put well together. She's an author. She's a podcaster. She's she fundraiser. She's a aspiring comedian, and that's my favorite part, okay, because you know I love stand-up comedy. She's a coach, experienced New York nonprofit consultant. I mean, like, what she doesn't do. And ladies and gentlemen, meet Rhea Juan. Hey, Rhea, how are you, honey? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Can Can you hear me okay? Oh, I can hear you fine. I'm just saying, can you, like, you do so much. And for you to do so much, how do you have the time in the day? Well, you know, it's funny. We were joking about this before, but I don't have children. <laughs> so, uh, no, I mean, you know, I mean, this is actually kind of honest, right? Like, I know there are, are my friends out here who have kids who are also trying to do the entrepreneurial thing. Like, to me, they are the real superheroes. But, yeah, you know, as you know, as a busy mom yourself, it's all about compartmentalizing, prioritizing, and executing, right? Because yes. I think a lot of times, and I know you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on this show is, um, you know, like people spend a lot of time agonizing about doing the thing. Just do the thing. You know? I the amount of emotional energy you put in. That's what right? I say. Just do the thing. Just do what you got to do, right? And, I mean, why yeah. not? Life is so short that you can do, be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do, right? That's exactly right. Well, I, But even above and beyond that, I just mean like you know, as entrepreneurs, we don't have a boss, right? Like, we are uh, our own bosses. Deadlines are the ones that we impose on ourselves. But I feel like the one thing I've really learned in being an entrepreneur the last couple of years is that, you know, I could spend a bunch of energy procrastinating and thinking about the thing that I need to do and have dread about it, or I could just suck it up and do it, and then it's done. So I think, you know, the advice that I'm giving the folks out here trying to be entrepreneurs is, like, stop wasting all the mental energy and time thinking about doing the thing. Just do the thing. That's right. That's right. So, Rhea, so you help nonprofits to raise money, more money or a lot of money. So what made you go into that, that you know, that career, that format of helping other yeah. people raise money? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. So, Caramel, a lot of people don't really, you know, grow up thinking I'm going to be a fundraiser when I grow up. Right? We think doctor, lawyer, veterinarian. Uh, no one says fundraiser. Or I guess I should say it's the rare child that would say fundraiser. So mm-hmm. uh, my story started when I was a 26-year-old executive director in New York City. And the first day on the job, I did two searches. The first was, uh, what does an executive director do? And the second was how to fundraise. Like, I was completely untrained for this job. And the fact is, this is not an unusual story. A lot of people are what I call accidental fundraisers. So over the course of 12 and a half years, I, you know, I figured out how to do it. I was raising a little under $3 million a year in private funds. We were serving over 500 kids a year in New York City. And I just thought, man, why did it take me 12 years to figure this out? And so the next stage of my career, I was like, I want 
to help all of the little baby Rias who have gotten into this job with no support, no training, no idea what they're doing. And I just want to help them get further along than when I started because, you know, we're we're talking to folks who have who are working on the hardest problems in the world, you know, mm-hmm. climate change, animal conservation, education, homelessness, health care, voting. Like these are important big topics and yet these folks are out here with basically no training, you know, like a little machete trying to whack through the forest. So um, I decided that I would take what was a challenge for me, which is learning how to fundraise and try to help as many people as I could. That is sweet, though, because like you said, a lot of people don't think about that, you know, and for you to sit there and help people, uh, that's a blessing, you know. And, yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. I mean, look, Caramel, at the end of the day, we're all on this planet for a finite amount of time, mm-hmm. and we all want to have made a difference in our lives. And, and really, that's the heart of fundraising, too, which is, you know, when you're talking to donors, people think it's about the money. It's not about the money. Mm-hmm. It's about what journey are you on and how can I help you get there, right? So if I'm somebody who has made some money and I care deeply about education, well, like, as a fundraiser, I'm going to help someone realize their most audacious dream with the money that they that they made, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, money is just a piece of the paper. But if I can use the money to send people to college or clean the oceans or save the whales or whatever it is I do, then the money has real long-lasting impact and value. That is true. That's true. So how can someone, uh, you know, if they – you know, how can they contact you on that part of it, of the nonprofit? Like, do you have a website or anything that they can go to and, and read all about what's going on uh, on the nonprofit area? Yeah. Gonna, you know, donate or help out? Well, I mean, you can donate to me, but uh, <laughs> I, I am not a nonprofit. So I'm always accepting donations for the Rio Travel Fund. Um, but yeah, if folks are listening out here who either have a nonprofit or are involved in a nonprofit in some kind of way, volunteer or whatever, I can be found online at Rhea Wong, R H E A W O N G dot com. And I'm usually really active on LinkedIn. Like, you can't be on LinkedIn without me being in your face a couple times a week. So that's definitely the two to get in touch with me. Awesome. And you have your own podcast, nonprofit, you know, um, Lowdown. Uh, Tell me about that podcast. Yep. Who do you usually interview? Yeah, so it's uh, I've had it for about three years. I started it in 2018, um, and I really started it because I like to listen to podcasts myself. I'm sure you do, too. Mm-hmm. So I know – you know, it's a medium that I really enjoy, and really it was, honestly, it was just an excuse to talk to my friends, because, I mean, I feel so blessed that in New York, we have so many amazing people doing amazing things with nonprofits, you know, executive directors, board members, et cetera, and I just thought, man, this is such a such an embarrassment of riches. How can I share my network with other people? And so, you know how it is when you're busy and you see your friends and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 we'll get lunch, you know, we'll hang out, we'll do drinks, and then it never happens. So this was really just a forcing function because I knew I had a publishing schedule and I knew I had to put something out on the airwaves. So I was like, let me just put a microphone in your face and we can hang out. <laughs> and so that's kind of how it started. Um, so the first couple of episodes, you'll notice, are just a lot of my own personal friends. 
and folks seem to really like it. I've heard a lot of people get good value from it. I find it really interesting personally because I get to learn from my guests, and mm-hmm. so that's just been, you know, an ongoing thing. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think that I'd still be doing it three years later because I think a lot of people start podcasts and they're like, eh, it's a lot of work. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the momentum has been there. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's basically the same way. I started, like, what, two years ago? And the reason why I started is because, you know, when we had COVID, um, I couldn't, we couldn't really talk to people. So, you know, I'm a talker. So I was like, hmm, maybe I should do a podcast and be able to talk to other people out there and see what they got going on. You know what I mean? And I didn't think that I was going to uh, continue on with the podcast, but it's been two years strong. So I, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and it really starts to build momentum because actually I'm always surprised when I chat with people or, you know, meet new people. They go, oh, I've been listening to your podcast because, you know, it doesn't necessarily tell you who's listening. It's like mm-hmm. to assume that every download is my mom. You know what I mean? I'm like, right. I don't know who you are. I'm out here just producing content. So it's it's been really nice to hear people who are fans of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when they were like, oh, I love the way, you know, who you interview or who you talk to. That Yeah, it feels really, really good. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. This is great. So you also have a book, yeah. right? You also have a book out called "Get That Money, Honey." Hello. The new BS guide to run, uh, raising money for your nonprofit is the subtitle. Wow. So just tell us about that. Like, what can they, you know, get in? Like, once they read the book, what's inside the book? Um, you know, what are they gonna benefit from it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple different things. Uh, you know, I don't have biological children, like I said, but, you know, this book was really my pandemic baby. So while everyone, <laughs> we were all hungry down, I was like, why don't I just write a book? So it was good. It was good to have some free time. Um, so I collaborated with actually one of my former students, Bella Masucci, so she helped me write it. And it's basically everything I know so far about fundraising because the other piece of it for me is, you know, I work with folks uh, in my group coaching program, the Fundraising Accelerator, but I mean, the truth is some people, uh, like, it's beyond their budget to work with for me, or work, work, let me say this again, it's beyond their budget to work with me, mm-hmm. and so I decided to put all of the information in a book, so I feel like at the price point of $15, everyone can access this information, and it's really what I consider the foundational elements of what it takes to build a major gift fundraising program. Uh, one of the things that I think is really different with my approach is I start with the psychological stuff. So I think the reason why a lot of people hate fundraising, hate thinking about fundraising, hate asking people for money, is that we all have a lot of baggage about money. We have stories that we tell ourselves about money, about how there's not enough, there's never going to be enough, I don't deserve to have, whatever. You know, we all have stories. Even if you grew up with a lot of money, we all have stories. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first step for any fundraiser for the longevity, like, yeah, I'm talking about, you know, you want to sustain yourself in this work for a long time, is you have to unpack your own stuff about money and your own relationship to money and your own relationship to scarcity versus abundance. Because I think particularly in the nonprofit sector, we are so scarcity minded, right? Like the minute you think about nonprofit, you think poor, right? You think even the name is not profit, right? Right, yes. Um, but, but it's a real mindset of, you know, we can't afford it, we're not going to have enough, and that kind of mindset really wears you down after a while. So 
So anyway, I wrote the book that I wish I'd had as a 26-year-old. I start with the psychological. And then I get real nitty-gritty and tactical because the other thing I noticed when I was coming up and having to teach myself how to fundraise is, like, most fundraising books are so boring. I'm like, ugh, it's like a textbook. Shoot me. So I wrote it kind of fun vibe. It's also a workbook, right? So you're meant to, you know, do exercises within the book and really meant to be used as a as a working document. So that's the genesis of it. People have really seemed to enjoy it. If you look at the Amazon comments, um, but mostly for me, I just want to get the information out there because everyone is raising money for good stuff, and we need more good stuff to happen in the world. That is so true. That is so true. And, yeah, I think a lot of people need to change their mindset just a little bit when it says nonprofit because, yeah, it does um, – sometimes it comes off of saying um, not profitable. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, the books – like I was reading some of the books, right? And I'm like, wow, I need to get this book myself. Hello. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So why do you why do you need to do it? Are you raising money for a nonprofit or are you raising money for the caramel fund? <laughs> I'm raising money for the caramel fund. Uh, hey, okay. I need all the money I could possibly get at this point. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, a big piece of it is really about the money mindset, right? Because I talk to a lot of folks, and, you know, it's interesting. A lot of women of color actually involved in my programs, probably because being a woman of color myself, I think, you know, a lot of folks that you see out here raising money tend to be old white people not you know no no shade i love old white people but yeah. um you know if you're a person of color there's just other stuff that comes up i think that a white person as a fundraiser may not be able to speak to but i think you know as women of color we have a really complicated relationship and i would even say a traumatic relationship with money uh when you think about the policies that have been explicitly designed to keep wealth out of the hands of people of color and black communities mm-hmm. it's real right it's like there's a real generational trauma there and so i think we just got to be honest about unpacking all that stuff if we really want to free ourselves to step into a prosperous future true facts that is so true so i know that you are a newbie of the stand-up comedy world hello uh, look at yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. what made you decide to step in the comedy world yeah, well, Carol, how much do you know about stand-up comedy? I do. I've been doing it for six years. Have you really? Yes. Oh, <laughs> I did not know that. We just do a show. Okay, so you know, it is like the most nerve-wracking thing in the whole wide world to stand up and just bomb in front of strangers, right? <laughs> um, so I've always been a fan of comedy, like classic comedy. I actually just re- recently rewatched uh, Richard Pryor's Sunset Strip show. So mm-hmm. good. Um and I've also been really interested in a lot of the, you know, women and women of color comedians coming up, so like the Ali Wongs of the world and the Leslie Joneses. Anyway, so always been a comedy nerd. And then back in 2019, I uh, I made a New Year's resolution. I said, you know, this is going to be the year that I do that I try stand-up comedy and do my tight five. Then November 2019 rolled around, and I was like, oh, I got I got a month left. Uh, and so I enrolled in a comedy class, and the final project was to do a five-minute stand-up set. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, after that, I was hooked, right? Like, you know how it is. It's both yes. terrifying, nerve-wracking, but also the minute 
your off takes like that was amazing. I want to do it again. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was doing like weekly, you know, open mics up until the pandemic. Right. And then I'll tell you, girl, have you ever done a comedy show on Zoom? Um, I would not do it only because because I was I doing I was doing shows all the time um before COVID and then when COVID hit that's when I decided to do the podcast but I was doing stand up everywhere in Annapolis I was going to Atlanta Virginia I was going all over right but oh, then gosh, right and then when COVID hit it just stopped like it stopped it and people was like let's do it on Zoom and I'm like I'm not gonna do it on Zoom people can fall asleep they can cut you off they can do all kinds of things I don't want to do it I didn't want to do it oh, that was smart that was a good decision because I tried doing a couple of Zoom comedy shows and I thought doing open mics was depressing Zoom was like 10x depressing because first of all all you see like these little black boxes with people's names, right? Because everyone is just not on screen. So you're like, I have no idea if that landed. Like, I don't know if there's silence because that joke sucked and bombed or if y'all are just on mute. I don't know. Like, there's nothing more soul-crushing and ego-crushing than doing a stand-up Zoom show. But mm-hmm. that being said, I feel like after I did my first stand-up set, I felt invincible. I was like, I told jokes. Some of them landed. Some of them bombed, and I'm still standing. I can do anything. I was like, I'm bulletproof now. Like, literally, I can do anything. I am scared. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. So, wait. Tell me about your your stand-up. Well, my my my, my stand-up, when I first did stand-up, I went to, I did improv first, right? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I did I did improving first because uh, you know I just wanted to do the group of people before I decided to get on my own, and I was like, okay, I can get this. I nailed this improv thing, so I can do stand up by myself, right? And the first time I did it, I bombed. <laughs> I was shaking so bad. I was shaking so bad, and I was like, blah, 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 blah. I was like, words wasn't coming out of my mouth. I was looking at the audience like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was I was like, I totally bombed. I totally bombed, and then from there, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to give up, and then I did it again. And I I killed it, and then I decided to go to a stand up drag queen show, and the, like the, oh, right, so the oh, those so, drag queens are fierce. They are they fierce. Tell you about yourself. Yes, I and the thing know. about it was that when you go to the yes, yes, and so when I went to the show, they either gonna drag you down or they're gonna let you stay on the show. And so when I got on, they was dragging so many people off the stage that, like, I was, like, not going to go on stage. I was like, oh, no, they're going to drag me down, right? But it didn't happen that way. I actually stayed on way longer than I supposed to because everybody loved it, and I was, like, super happy with it. And at the end, we just took pictures, and we had a good time, you know? Drag queen approval—that is really something, Arabelle. So we had, I feel like a drag queen. Yeah, you, right off my head and kick me off. <laughs> <laughs> we 
we had a, we had a good time actually, and I was like, this was the best time, and I went back and did another show, and it was fun, and you know, it's just like you know, you just have to be yourself, but sometimes you always gonna have that nerve because you're gonna look at the audience and be like, they're not gonna like me, they're not gonna like me, they're not gonna like me, but it doesn't matter because. You know, it's just what it is. But I had a great time. And, you know, and stand-up is one of my things I love to do, you know? Wait, wait. So where was this club? Because I feel like I need to come down and, like, The club was in Naples, Florida. It was in Naples, Florida. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, it was, yeah. But you know what the funny thing, too, is I feel like trying to make it in – I'm in New York City, right? So, like, trying to do stand-up in New York City is like trying to learn how to drive on the Autobahn. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> everybody in the trying to make it as a comic in New York. So um, I feel like if I'd had a, a kinder, gentler audience, maybe it would have been less scary. But, no, I think it's still terrifying no matter where you do it. Yeah, it is. Um, You always going to get those nerves, you know, because when I went to Indianapolis and did a stand-up, um, I was looking at the audience, and I'm like, okay, the audience was a little different from, you know, other people that I used to do stand for, because, you know, everywhere you go is a different vibe, you know, and so yeah. they're yeah. looking at me like, who's this girl coming out of town, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah. my God, you know, but, you know, they loved it, and I was like, okay, cool, you know. That's awesome. So wait, so do you still do your stand-up? Um, I haven't. I have. Well, I do now. I do like shows. Um, so I I host my own shows and I bring other comedians on my show. What? Yeah. Wait, where do you where do you host your shows? So I do shows. Um, like any restaurant or any any venue that I go. So what I do is I book a venue and I open up the venue for other comedians to come in and do shows or poets or or music artists, but mostly comedians. I have a lot of comedians coming up in January the 14th. I have some comedy um, comedians that's going to be on stage for me. Um, so this is going to be great. Like, I do that all the time. I just want to be, have a platform because it's hard for comedians to get on platforms, you know? I know. It's, so I wonder if, like, Zoom – has helped because I know there. I mean, in the pandemic, we were all just at home. So yeah, yeah. Maybe I, I don't know. Girl. I would <laughs> never do Zoom. Zoom is a not. I know, but I have. Um, I I I see a lot of comedians blowing up on TikTok. I haven't tried it yet, but. Oh, you know what? I haven't I either. Because <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, oh my god, do I have enough content to sit there and and do you know, stuff, but, you know, a lot of people blow up from that, but the thing about it is they, they could blow up on TikTok, but what can they really get on stage and tell jokes, you know? Maybe, I don't know, but, uh, well, I was thinking, there's that one woman, what's her name, like, Zuma, she's like a, like a 50-year-old Indian woman, mm-hmm. she's like a housewife, mom, whatever, she just started five years ago, so she's, like, pretty, pretty, like, early, um, and she just blew up, and now she's about to have a Netflix special. And I'm like, Ugh. yeah. I mean, you you can you can blow up. You just have to have the contents to do it, you know. So yeah, well, you know, I mean, I mean, I love comedy, but I also really struggle with like deep jealousy. <laughs> so like someone asked me the other day, they're like, "Do you watch comedians in cars?" And I was like, "No, absolutely not." 
I just get too jealous watching the other comedians in a car with Jeremy. Like, Where the hell am I not in this car with Jeremy Seinfeld? Where's my car? Where's my coffee, Jerry? Uh, on the down low, I do too. So don't worry about you're not by yourself. I'd be like, oh, I don't like her. She's not that good. Huh? <laughs> I know. I'm like, that's really no, she's not that. Actually, truth be told, I don't think Jerry Seinfeld is that funny either. But anyway, um, <laughs> but you know what? He doesn't care what I think because he has a bajillion dollars and I don't. So guess what? He don't right. care. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld does not care about what I think. Exactly. So, you know, it, it, it's just what it is. And so, um, you know, I I just I, I don't know. I just be looking at other people like, oh, that could have been me, you know. But I'm just not. They're 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 brave enough to stand out and do what they have to do. And I'm just like, okay, I do comedian here and do comedian there. You know, do some stand up here and stand up there. But maybe I need to get out a little bit more since COVID is over with. And I think I'm gonna do that. I think I'm gonna go ahead and step back out. You know. You know what I realized about trying to make it as a stand-up comedian professionally is I'm unwilling to I'm unwilling to live in motels and eat crappy food. That's actually the truth of it. Like I can't, you know, when it, you hear about comedians and how they came up and like these, you know, crappy little venues that they play, staying in a motel six and eating like cheeseburgers. Yeah. I'm like, mm-mm, I'm a grown-up. I, no, I can't. That is, I, that is not the life that I, I believe right now. I'm not trying to live like I'm a 20-year-old college dropout. That's not my vibe. Uh, and, but, you know, that's kind of what you have to do in order to do the thing. Zarna Garik is who I was thinking about, by the way, who is blowing up. And yeah. about to have her own comic special. That's, God bless her. Uh, yeah, you know, but one day, Rhea, we'll, we we might be that one next. We don't know. But how, I mean, it's just what it is, but we definitely got to connect on that comedy part of it, you know? And, I would love that. That would be so fun. And yes. anyway, if you're ever at NYC, hit me up. We can do... Uh, we can, you know, hit some open mics together. That would be fun. Oh, yeah, that will be fun. And don't be surprised if I call you up and say, uh, guess what? Uh, I'm coming. Are, are you ready for me? You know? Listen, I would love that. But, by the way, I'm I'm in California until the end of February. But when I'm back in New York, let's hit up those, let's hit up those open mics and uh, get our dreams shot down. It'll be great. <laughs> no problem. Tell everybody where they can find you. I'm telling you, Rhea, she, she just, she's a wonderful l- – listen to her. Look, I can't wait till she get back in comedy. She helped other people with her nonprofit. She is so awesome, and I thank you for being up here with me. Tell everybody where they can find you again. Absolutely. RiaWong.com. R-H-E-A-W-O-N-G.com or on LinkedIn at RiaWong.com. I mean, luckily there aren't that many of us, so, you know, I really own that space. And I found you on Instagram, so I followed you. Hello. Oh, you know, my Instagram game is not that tight, so check me out on LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. I know. I have a Facebook. I have an Instagram account, but I don't really, I don't really pay attention. They're like the redheaded stepchildren of my social media. It's like LinkedIn is my golden child. There you go. I really invested everything in LinkedIn stuff, and the rest of them are like, mm, yeah, <laughs> okay. It's been, it's been such a great pleasure talking to you, love. And I just want to say, stay in contact with me, and I will talk to you soon. I love that. Thanks so much, friend, and keep on keeping on with the comedy. Same to you, love. Have a good one. You too.